What's going on, guys? It's your host, your boy, George McKay, back again for another amazing conversation. And this time, I have a legend. I have somebody I respect so much in this business. I was a fan of his as a kid. And now to sit down and have a conversation with him, I'm very excited. Please help me welcome Al Snow to Straight Talk Wrestling. How are you, sir? Uh, great. How are you, George? I'm great, man. I'm about to sit down and talk with one of my all-time favorites. Not a WWE favorite. I appreciated your work there, but I loved you in ECW. That's where well, I discovered you. you. Thank you very much. I appreciate it. I, I need as many fans as I can get. <laughs> <laughs> well, you got, you got a lot. Don't worry about that. There's a lot of people who respect you, what you did in this business. I, um, I was a big fan of your second run in ECW when you came out with the, uh, the schizophrenic disorder and you had head. That's where everything really started to blossom. And sure. um, I got to say, to come up with a character like that after kind of semi going insane after being a jobber for so many years, I know the inspiration was when you found you read that book on abnormal psychology, if I've done my research correctly. Um, where did you get the book from? What made you want to pick up that book and decide, I'm going to read this. I'm going to check this out. Well, um, <clears throat> first understand, I, I called myself a jobber, but I really wasn't. I mean, I wasn't utilized in that manner um, because I was actually a part of the territory and I was, you know, I made, I got booked on a lot of events and things like that. So um, in the true term of, of, of what a jobber is, I was not a jobber, but um, because I had a bad attitude and I was frustrated, I kind of painted myself in my own mind like it, it was, uh, I was. And um, uh, the book on abnormal psychology, um, I was always fascinated, you know, because wrestling deals with a lot of psychology and um, I've always been fascinated with it. And occasionally I'll pick up books and, you know, um, kind of read about psychology or different different things. I'm, I'm a voracious reader. So, um, um, you know, I was trying to demonstrate uh, that I had had a nervous breakdown and um, finding different ways to do that well, while I was still wrestling and uh, not just backstage, but it was very important to be able to demonstrate that um, visually um, while in the ring at the same time, because otherwise there's a, there's a disconnect because you sell a person, you sell an audience, a character of a person that they're, they're that person backstage or to the ring or on promos. But then once the bell rings, they become a different, they become just a wrestler in a pair of tri tights you don't get the, you don't get what you sold. You don't get what you bought. Um, so there's that disconnect. So it, it limits the success of it. So um, I tried a lot of different things. And then, like I said, I, you know, got that book on abnormal psychology, was kind of looking through that and reading it and saw that case study and was like, hmm, that's fascinating. And then had wrestled Sasuke, a great Sasuke was a Japanese wrestler, uh, wrestled him at the arena. And uh, just by fate, there was a, styrofoam head that was in the other side of the building where they used to make the mummer day parade uh, floats in philadelphia and um i picked it up and started taking photos with it and i went you know what i'm going to carry this around and treat it like it's alive like that lady who had schizophrenia and she had she transferred the illness onto the inanimate objects and i thought well this is crazy i'm not and that's how it kind of got got started absolutely absolutely and it was um it was that that run that got you that kind of second turn during the Attitude Era. And a lot of people uh, pinnacle the Attitude Era as the golden age of wrestling, just because of all the crazy shenanigans that happened and everything that went on there. Would you consider that to be a fair assessment? Because me personally, I'm a fan from like, my favorite time period was 85 to like 94, and then 97 to 99, because I discovered ECW at that time. I think that as a uh, during that time period with like um, the two, there have been several national and um, how can you say it? Uh, um, where it becomes part of the pop culture, um, several periods that have all you know. Of course, financially you can you can argue um, success wise, but in the uh, I think it was the 30, 30s or 40s um, with the Gold Dust Trio where they kind of, you know, created a national network of wrestling. Uh, then again in the 50s with the advent of television. Um, and then again uh, in the, like that period of 85, about 84, 80, 84, 85, uh, when the WWF became very mainstream and 
part of the pop culture. Um, and then the upswing again at the late, you know, the, um, toward the back end of the 90s and the early 2000s, you know. Um, in, in one of the things, and, and it was it was part and parcel for my success, was that, you know, um, was that, you know, everyone on the show in all of those periods of time, um, what captured the audience's attention and their imagination is the fact that everyone had a definable character. Like if you think back, even to the period you're talking about from the 85 through 91-ish, 92, um, that period of time, everybody on the show, if you look back and you remember, there were everyone was somebody you could turn to your friends and go, hey, there, this is guy, he's A, B, C, D, E. And you could do, that's the most valuable thing that a performer really in any aspect of entertainment has to develop. And that is that definability and um, um, ability to have an audience be able to sell that performer to their friends and family in a sense or less. If that can't happen, then in, no matter how good the performer is, it's, it, they're never going to be a true star. It's just not going to happen. Um, and then that came back around again with another generation of, of performers, wrestlers that, uh, you know, during the Attitude Era, if you really think back, every single person on that show, no matter what role they played, no matter where they were at on the card, um, you could describe them to your friends and family. Hey, there's this guy, he's A, B, C, D, E. And for me, you know, I had for years had been known as the best kept secret in wrestling and all that, but that was quite simply because I didn't have a definable personality that people could communicate to each other and um, the times that I had the most success in my career were those times when I created that persona that personality that that they could you know you could in a sentence or less tell your friends hey there's this guy he's crazy he talks to a head you know you never know what he's going to do he's out of his mind and and that was that was the that was the big part of it for me personally and for the wrestling business as a whole. I couldn't agree more. And what I loved about your character is that anything that kind of happened in real life, like to you or any situations that surrounded you, you brought that to the character. My favorite angle was when there was that situation with the doll. There was somebody that was saying that it's a doll is a violation of women and all that stuff. And you ended up taking that and you spun it into a storyline. And I, as a kid, I'm sitting here at 12 years old. I'm going, this is the coolest shit ever. I want that doll now (laughs) just because of what the hell's going on. Talk to me about that. I was awesome, you know. Um, it, it's indicative, though, of what we sur- we suffer from in this country today, and that is that the vocal minority control. You know, the majority do not control this country anymore. It's the vocal minority that do, and um, you know, two women uh, who were assistant professors of all things of communications at a college. Um, you know, they walked into Walmart and they saw my action figure on the shelf, and saw the you know, the uh, mannequin head, the Barbie doll head that was in the package, and then just extrapolated without doing any homework or research or anything that one, it was a female. When I've never referred to it in any, any female or male manner, I've always referred to it in an asexual manner as they, them, their, never he, she, anything like that. Um, and uh, they assumed that it was a female. And um, that it was a decapitated head that I had cut it off. And, um, and, and I quote one part of the letter that they wrote to the Atlanta constitution was that, you know, that it was a, a training manual for future spousal abusers, which I thought was just tremendous. I tried to get Jack's toys to include a manual like that in future doll sales, but they, they explained that. Yeah. I didn't think the joke was that funny. Um, but, uh, you know, it was, uh, it was fantastic in one sense in the, that, um, it, it sold, the action figures sold out everywhere. And I was a national news event for about a week and a half. I mean, Time Magazine did a story on it. And, you know, Rush Limbaugh mentioned it in his commentary. Uh, Jay Leno, David Letterman, um, every single night, late night talk show host had a, it was in their monologue. Um, it was insane. Um, it was covered on CNN. When I found out about it, I was in Philadelphia, um, about to go to uh, the arena um, to the spectrum for raw and uh, was working out and the top three news stories, not in any particular order, 
on the, every news affiliate in uh, Philadelphia where the mayoral process, um, the Bosnian peace process, and uh, my action figure being pulled from the shelves, which is you know, ridiculous. I mean, but that was how hot and how popular wrestling was. And, you know, it was, it was, uh, it was a blessing and, and uh, it was amazing. Um, which resulted in the most weird conversation I've ever had with a human being. Um, as I arrived at the building that day, and I was, I literally just found out maybe 15, 20 minutes prior. I mean, not exaggerating before I got to the building and Vince McMahon's talking to one of the writers turns, sees me, comes walking up. Hey, oh, what have you been up to? And I'm like, I know what he's referencing. And I'm like, Vince, I have no idea. Like I just, it caught me out of left field. And all of a sudden his face changed and he just turned around and walked back to the writer and just ceased the conversation. And I just stood there like, what just happened? And I stood there for a minute and he just went back to talking like he had never just started a conversation with me. And I went, I went really loud. I was like, well, I'll be down the hallway in the locker room if you wish to continue this conversation that you just started. So just give me a ring if you want. I'll be down there. And I just walked off and I was like, what just took place? I mean, what person's literally start, you know, like walks up to you and goes, Hey George, how you doing, man? It's great to see you. And you go, Hey, it's, and I just turn around and walk off. <laughs> <laughs> I've never seen a human being do that. So yeah, it was pretty, pretty, you know, it was an incredible day, very confusing and uh, from a lot of different perspectives. So Absolutely, absolutely. And um, you know, like you said, that was the hot of uh, how hot and pop culture wrestling was at the time. And now we're kind of seeing a resurgence. And I wanted to pick your brain on this because you're someone who has a, an amazing mind for the business. And I'm definitely going to get into all the stuff you're doing with OVW now because I want to get into that because I think it's fantastic everything you're doing over there. But in terms of wrestling now, do you consider what's happening with AEW, WWE, and all that stuff, all the speculation of the, you know, the new weekly wars, if you will, do you consider this something that is relevant compared to what was happening back in the late 90s, early 2000s? And also, do you consider the forbidden door being open something that is relevant now? Because it always was. ROH always had a working relationship with New Japan for a very long and healthy time period. Right. Well, I don't foresee any door, any working relationship with AEW and WWE. I don't foresee that. There's no way. I mean, they are direct competitors. And, you know, um, if you learn anything about Vince is that and until you are in Vince's ring, he does not see you because he doesn't watch anybody else's product because he doesn't care about anybody else's product. He only cares about his, you know, and um you know, he will not, not because he, he's scared or that he, it's just that he's so focused on WWE. And he also knows and understands that when you, um, even if it's negative, if you direct some kind of negative uh, comment towards um, your competitors, what you're really doing is you're directing attention to them and you're really, you're promoting them. And um, in, a term, in the wrestling business, we have a term of being buried um, you know, meaning to say something negative or anything, and, and nothing can be further from the truth. Anytime, even in real life, anyone is ever speaking, even if it's negatively about you, they're really ultimately putting you over. They're acknowledging you. They are, they are, you are clearly someone they care about. Because if they didn't care about you, they wouldn't talk about you at all. And the term to be buried is to, quite honestly, just like being buried, to be put in the ground, dirt on top of you, and then eventually, regardless of how much you care about that person, you stop talking about them, you stop mentioning them because they no longer exist. And if you truly wish to bury somebody, that's how you do it. You don't talk about them, you don't acknowledge them. And um, Vince is never going to. You know, only one time, and I think that was, you truly broke character, and that was back during the WCW-WWE wars, shockingly broke character and did acknowledge WWE, you know, WCW. Um, but... And a good example of that in wrestling would be when the night that Eric Bischoff acknowledged WWE, WWF, and told the results of Mankind's you know, world title win and everybody tuned in. And that, that was really one of the turning points um, where they started to garner uh, attention and, and viewership back again because of his inadvertent drawing attention to his competitor. 
Um, you know, so I don't, I don't think that there is ever going to be an open door policy between the two. It's just not going to happen. And Vince has a completely different vision and direction, which he should. Um, and that's what makes wrestling great. That was what made back in the regional territorial days is what made him so awesome was because every territory had its own individualistic vision and direction because it had its own individual uh, booker or promoter that had their own idea and, and not, you know, of style of what they wanted done and how they wanted it presented. But ultimately we, you know, you could travel between them all and make a living because, you know, at that point in time, they still only sold the two things that really motivate an audience to buy a ticket. And that's the who a wrestler is and the why they do it. Um, unfortunately, that's been the, the, the in the wrestling business. There's the lazy excuse that the wrestling business has changed, meaning that we now sell something different. Um, and and a lot of those people within the wrestling business subscribe to that, and that is that they sell the talent, especially sell what they do. Um, you you'll never buy a ticket to watch what they do. Um, you'll never be motivated to you know pay to see someone based off of just what they do you won't buy boxing tickets you won't buy a boxing pay-per-view you won't buy an mma pay-per-view or tickets to see what they do you will buy it though based on who's fighting who and why they're fighting what's at stake who's going to win you know that's what motivates you to buy any type of combat even if it's simulated combat sports is the who and the why. Because at the end of the day, quite honestly, like in professional wrestling, there are only seven things we physically do in the ring that you could possibly relate to that have never had happen. And the other things are beyond your understanding. Because, you know, if we, at the end, I tell guys all the time, if you want a good example of this at the end of the show, stand outside at the door and ask people what they think that, mat, that ring is, and they'll tell you it's a trampoline or a mattress. And trust me, nothing can be further from the truth. It sucks because no matter how you hit it, every time you hit it, it hurts. And people in the audience don't realize that. So you can't sell them or motivate them to want to see you based off of what you do. You sell them and motivate them based off of who and why. And, you know, that's, that's something that I try very hard to get the talent to reconnect with here in, in OBW. So. Absolutely. And it's great that you segued in OVW. See that, Al? We're jelly. We're jelly. You know where to take the conversation. Um, OVW. Uh, yeah. It was the, the training ground for NXT before NXT became NXT. And then when NXT did, uh, OVW was kind of cut. Well, not really. It was the training okay. ground, the, the developmental program for uh, WWF. Right. And right. WWE. And then it was, it was moved to Tampa where they shut down all of the satellite areas like they had one in cincinnati was hwa the ovw they had several and uh, ovw being the one that was the longest and and, and and actually is the only one that survived its cessation from a relationship with wwe um all the other ones have went went by the wayside um but they moved it to tampa um and they consolidated everything into one area with one trainer and then they then they shifted that to and created the performance center in NXT in Orlando and, um, and uh, you know, um, and, to, you know, to Danny Davis's credit, um, you know, every after OVW, the building uh, Davis arena, the way he had laid it out and everything, they copied the floor plans and used that floor plan in every other place in Atlanta in uh, Tampa. And then again, in uh, uh, Orlando and NXT, um, they they copied his layout, uh, basic layout of how to how to create a uh, training center and 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 also arena setting um, to where the wrestlers could get experience. So Danny was a you know was ahead of his time a little bit. So absolutely, he's a visionary for sure, and it, it, that it, it, that's the layout that that everybody uses now. I mean, you can tell that it, it works because yeah. of all the great talent. So you stepped in, again, if I've done my research correctly, but again, the internet is not always truthful. We know this. We do know this. Uh, it says you stepped in. Yeah, it says you stepped in late 2017, early 2018, and that's when you purchased a majority share. Am I correct in that? 
Well, I came in originally back in the early 2000s with WWE as the head trainer. Then right, left yes. at, after they rescinded their relationship. Uh, they, I, my run was up and I um, went off on my own. And then I got uh, involved with Impact, became an executive, created the developmental system for Impact, started the association between Impact and, and OVW. I came back and basically kind of to a degree, uh, you know, writing and producing and directing the TV and teaching again then that relationship ended and then i did come back around 2017 and and then in june of 2018 um ended up buying the company uh with my partners chad miller and joe reeves and larry benz at that time and uh um took over and and started the process of rebuilding and and uh redesigning and recreating the and restocking the roster and starting to educate the wrestlers and, and as to what to do and why to do it. And it's been a, a process, but we're starting to really reach a point uh, where those efforts and all that work for the last two and a half, three years is starting to pay off. So, Absolutely. I, I'm a subscriber on the YouTube channel. I love the YouTube channel. I love everything you guys are doing. I love the talent that's there. And I love, I love the way you guys film it. I love the way it's portrayed. I love it. It's, it's very much like any other wrestling concept, but it just, it's got that gritty indie feel to it. And that's what I appreciate the most because to me, that gives me a little bit of realism. It gives me that little sense and it brings me back to everything I can't get here right now because in Canada, the pandemic sucks. You know, you're doing bad when we're the top news story where you are. <laughs> so it's, it hasn't been easy. We haven't had a single show. The last show I went to was last September, which was a parking lot show. One of my favorite promotions out here, Destiny Wrestling. And that's literally the last show. I haven't had real wrestling. I haven't screamed for my favorite, you know, face. I haven't booed or shit-talked my favorite heel. And I've missed it so much. But what I do yeah. enjoy is watching stuff like OVW. Because when I'm in the comfort of my couch, I'm safe. Because I can look at some of the members of your roster and I go, you suck. I hate you. And they can't do anything to me because I'm 3,000 miles away. So life, yeah. is, life is good. But... I love the developmental system that you've done and the mind that you have for the business. And I wanted to pick your brain on kind of what, like the first day of classes at your facility. If a new, if I'm a new trainee and I'm coming in, do you have one-on-one -on -one conversations with the individuals or do you just start up a class and say, listen, I'm Alan Severn. This is OBW. And this is what we're going to run through. And do you start to kind of work the psychology right from day one or do you build to that? No. Um, I do have a one-on-one -on -one conversation, but that's an ongoing conversation with all talent through the entire time they're here. I never stop because um, I am as uh, I cannot be more invested in OVW, and I cannot be more invested in every single person's success here because um, I was brought in at a time uh, in the wrestling business. Where and I say this and and people think I'm exaggerating, but it was easier to become a made man in the mafia than it was to become a wrestler. And the reason why was not just because it was a very closed secular business, but because you were held personally responsible. Your way of feeding your family was hinged on if you brought someone in and their performance and how they behaved. That was your direct responsibility. And and if they got a black mark, that meant you might potentially get blackballed from the business. And so guys were very reticent on just accepting and being willing to take that responsibility. And, and that's been ingrained in me. I take that very seriously. Um, so, you know, they, if a person comes to me, then their success is my success. You know, I've spent 39 years making a name. And that's, all, that's the most valuable thing in life you can have. Mm -hmm. You can always make money. Any, people say, oh, I can't make money. I can't make, trust me. You can make plenty of money. Anytime you want money, you can make it. Yeah, you always find a way to make money, um, but you can't make another name. And and it takes it takes one person to destroy it. You know, it takes seconds to destroy it. it takes years to build it. And um, you know, uh, that's why I find it so important to ensure that I do everything I can, even against their their better wishes. Sometimes they 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 get frustrated with me because I'm pushing them so hard. Um, but I want them to have the best chance of success because that means it's my chance of success. And let's face it, it's all about me. So, um, <laughs> um, but when a person comes here, um, I've broken it down into three different, very distinct 
um, classes. There's a beginner's class, there's an intermediate and an advanced, and each one teaches not only individual skills, but it also teaches an understanding of those skills that allows you to better understand and learn the and the use of those skills that go up at the next class. So in the beginner's class, um, you know, they're going to learn the very basics and fundamentals. And what I mean by that is that one, they're going to learn how to walk properly in the ring. There is a way that you walk in the ring as a professional fighter. Um, because I truly feel that the only thing that's changed about professional wrestling, contrary to the popular belief that everybody goes, oh, it's changed. It's just a lazy excuse for you to go out there and not truly do the art of professional wrestling. The only thing that has changed about professional wrestling is the level of sophistication of an audience. They are so much more sophisticated. They, they can see through the work, the lie, um, so much easier now. So, um, you know, I want you to every little detail be able to make it as easy as possible for that audience paying to see you to believe, to believe in the lie. There's only one lie about professional wrestling. The only thing that's not real is that we're out there with the intent to win. We're trying to convince you of that all the time, that we are, number one, who we claim we are, whatever that character is. Undertaker claim is Undertaker. You know, he's not Mark Kellaway. And, you know, um, the more you can believe in who he is, the more you can believe in anything he does. And that's a prime example. I mean, with the, the WWE had, you know, where, you know, they had a buried alive match and had lightning strike the, you know, the, un, you know, the grave inside an arena and people bought it, believed it. You know what I mean? Not, not in the sense of, oh my God, that's real. But in the sense of within the illusion of the world, that the wrestling Bought it, believed it, and it mattered. It meant something. It evoked an emotional response out of you, as opposed to, oh, they went too far, you know. Um, you know, that's why, I, you know, you have to respect and admire that he, even in this day and age, when everyone just pours themselves out on social media, he never had a, a social media account. Because The Undertaker wouldn't have a social media account. Let's face it, you know. And uh, he stayed away from it until he retired. Um, you know, he didn't do appearances. He didn't do interviews because it would destroy the mystique. It would destroy the character that he sold. And um, that's how important it was to allow you to believe in who he was. And um, that hasn't changed, you know. And so, you know, um, you're going to learn in the beginner's class. You're going to learn the most important skill you can learn. Beginner's class you don't learn to hit the ropes. You don't learn to take turnbuckles. You don't learn to go out the ring. You don't do, learn how to do flips or dives. None of that. You learn true basic wrestling. And um, there's a reason why. It's because if you don't have the understanding of timing, distance, and footwork to properly do that in a convincing fashion, where you can convince an audience without convincing your opponents safely, then why are you being taught to hit the ropes at a full speed? when you can't even lock up in a believable fashion. Right. You can't even do a headlock. The second thing, the most important skill you're gonna learn is to use those tools. The, I liken it to learning how to read, okay? Learning how to read and write. Because you're gonna learn letters first. You're gonna learn the alphabet. Then you're gonna learn how to connect those letters together to make very rudimentary words, cat, tree, see, run, then you're going to learn how to put those to let those uh, words together to make sentences. See, Dick run after the cat. You know, see the cat run up the tree. Right. Uh, very simple, very straightforward, very direct. That's what you learn in the beginner's class. Okay. You're learning the alphabet. Then you're learning how to connect those and make simple sentences. Why do you need to know how to physically hit the ropes and? Do something at a much greater speed when you're on the very ultimate rudimentary level. But then at the same time as you're learning to do that, you're also learning how to truly sell, not what you think selling is. Everyone thinks that selling is just acting like you're hurt. That's not what selling is. Selling is selling the audience on the intent behind whatever it is you're physically doing. Yes. So if you don't know how to do that with a simplistic headlock, or switching to a hammerlock, or taking the person down off their feet to the mat, 
if you don't know how to sell that in a way that makes them believe that you're trying to utilize that to win and not lose, why do you need to hit the ropes or dive out of the ring? Or Because ultimately, you're only using that too in a much more expressive fashion to still sell the idea that you're utilizing it to win and not lose. Otherwise, it's a pointless effort. So back to my analogy of learning how to read and write, after beginner's class, you have to have a five-minute match. No characters, no heel, no baby face. You're just going to use utilize the very simple chain wrestling and um, the rudimentary skills, pitting combination switches, reversals, to convince me that you're trying to use those things to beat the other person without convincing them. Okay? Mm-hmm. That way you can do it safely. Mm-hmm. Now, if you do that, you pass, you go to the, the intermediate. Intermediate, you start learning to hit the ropes, take the turnbuckles, you start to learn the very basics of trying to be a heel, portray being a create the situations that make you a heel or a baby face, how to get it over, how to how to get the baby face over so you together you can get heat, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. You learn and understand the terms. And you know, you now in this part of the class, you're starting to learn how to create much more involved sentences. Now it's not just see, take, run after the cat. It's, you know, it's now Dick was walking down the street, saw the cat, ran after the cat, the cat escaped by running up the tree to keep Dick at bay. It gets much more of a much more uh, involved and much more vibrant picture that you're telling with that, which is now more moves that you can use, but ultimately you're still reinforcing the idea that all of those moves are to sell one thing and that is the intent behind them. Right. Period. You're starting to learn how to tell a very basic story of trying to win and not lose and how one person gets the upper hand and the other person has to do whatever it takes to switch that around. And you start to get those fundamentals of doing that. To pass that class, now you've got to be able to put all of that together and demonstrate to me some basic form of of a personality, of a character, and a little bit of you now creating the circumstances to be the baby face in the match, create the circumstances to be a heel in the match, to, and then still sell and utilizing the new skills you have that you're trying to beat the person in that match. Five, six minutes, you do that, you pass, you go to the advance. Now we start in the analogy of reading and writing now you start putting together sentences to make paragraphs, paragraphs to now make a, a page, and the pages to make a chapter, and chapters to make a whole story Right. that's deep and rich and makes people understand and emotionally connect. And you start to learn gimmicks of gimmick matches, of tags, and, and you know, uh, strap match or whatever, how you can sell the intent to work the gimmick of the match, that being how you win, so that you can tell a story that people understand within the context of a competitive situation that builds heat, that want, that need, that desire to see the outcome that allows you to do your business, whatever you want that audience to think, feel, or believe when they leave the building. There is much more that is involved in truly learning how to work. That word gets misused these days. Right. Oh, he can do great moves. He's he's awesome. He's a great worker. No, he's not. He's a great performer. He's a great athlete. I agree 100%. But to work somebody is to con somebody, to make them believe a lie. When's the last time, be honest, that you've watched professional wrestling, were able to believe in the lie that these two people were out there genuinely trying to win and not lose? For me, it comes down to, honestly, <laughs> MLW. I watched the match between Calvin Tankman and Jacob Fatu for the MLW heavyweight title. And that one was the one where it literally had me emotionally drawn into it. I was, I wanted well, see, Calvin. I Sorry? But see, that's only one. Right. That shouldn't be only one. That should be the rule, not the exception. Ah. Okay. You're that right. should that's... be the rule, not the exception. You're right. You're right. <clears throat> and that's what's wrong. Yeah, you're right. And and you know what? You're right. I look at I look at all the products now. It, it's not about telling the great story. It's not about keeping in the ring and making those emotions come out. It's all about the oh my God moment, the wow factor, the jumping from the top rope. And that's that's not the wrestling that I fell in love with. 
and I'll tell you this story I tell everyone. Mm-hmm. It's a prime example of the oh wow moment. My son, who was 13 at the time, when I, I lived outside of Dayton, Ohio, and did that, wanted to go to the arena um, there and uh, because they had a, uh, a dirt bike show where it was a stunt show. Big, giant mound of dirt and a smaller, two smaller ones, um, different sizes in the arena. And for the first, it was a two-hour show. For the first 20 minutes, I mean, literally, both of us are there. He wasn't saying this, but it was, it was, there were tons of whole, all the entire audience, holy shit, oh my God, Jesus Christ, that was amazing. You know, it was just incredible. The second 20 minutes was, wow, yeah, that was, that was great. That was, that was, oh my God, yeah, wow. But you started going down a notch because it was the same stunts you'd just seen for the first 20 minutes. Right. The second 20 minutes were the exact same. The third 20 minutes, my 13-year-old son looked at me and said, hey, can we leave, Dad? Because he had seen it all. So when you rely on that, oh, my God, that wow moment, okay, what are you going to do that's bigger? You can't. At some point, you work yourself into it. You, you literally put your, paint yourself into a corner. And again, no matter what anyone says, no matter what anyone thinks, at the end of the day, no one, including you, bought a ticket to just see what they did. You bought it motivated on who they were and why. Right. They were wrestling. They were fighting. What was at stake? That's what drives the heat, the want, the need, the desire to want to see the match. See, that's why I was so jacked for this conversation all day. I couldn't wait to finish up work and get here to have this conversation because I knew I was going to get an education. And that's what I love about the podcast stuff that I've been doing. Not everybody will agree with what I say. so No, and and that's totally fine. But the great thing is, the great thing is, Al, this is my show. You're my guest. And I agree with you. So (laughs) that's all that matters. It's it's my (laughs) idea, so. (laughs) So in OVW, when it comes time to develop that character and find you, find who you are in the ring, find that other layer. Do you Um, present the ideas or do you allow your students free reign? Okay, come back to the idea, pitch me an idea. No, I take whatever they give me, what I see. And if I see something that triggers something, I start to try to direct them a little more in that way. Right. I think is where that's who they really are and they need to turn the volume up on that. You have to understand, professional wrestling is a lot like stand-up comedy in a lot of ways. In the sense that both are very much a interactive, connected, participatory performance between the audience and the performer. And and also in the sense that a state of comedy, like the really good ones, are completely honest with with themselves as to who they are and are completely honest with the audience as to who they are. That's what makes them successful. It's what makes you find them funny and connect with them. They're not doing a shtick. You know, they're doing them. And that's why it's it works. Wrestling's no different. Vince McMahon is really Vince McMahon in the ring, just with the volume turned way up. You know, Steve Austin's really Steve Austin. He just turns that volume way up. Undertaker really is Undertaker, not a dead guy, but he's (laughs) a personality type. Right. But the volume really turned way up on that aspect of that part of their personality. It's not a character. They're not actors. Um. That is who they really are. If you get to meet these people in real life, you'll realize that. You'll sense it. You'll feel it. You know that. And Hulk Hogan is Hulk Hogan. You know, um, every guy, every person that became as is somebody that's notable that was in some way made an impression are those people, and and that's why it works. And I can't give these kids. I can't give them a character. I can't give them a gimmick because it's. It's going to be something that's going to ring hollow. It's not going to work unless, by chance, like Vince gave, you know, Mark Calloway the Undertaker. It just happens to be the right thing. You know, uh, Dustin Rhodes with Gold Dust. It just happens to be the thing that clicks. Those are they happen. They're the but they're the exception, not the rule. And um, you know, you're a, that live audience, even on the TV, you you can tell, you can sense, and that's why so many of the newer, younger talent. Uh, come up, they have a bit of a run, you know, and then they disappear. And the reason why is because it's just, you know, it's not going to work because it's not who they are, you know. And um, you cannot do that. Uh, the wrestling business, no way fans or buts about it, it is the wrestler's business, okay? It's not Vince's, it's not the writer's. 
you know, if you want to hold somebody responsible, I see people all the time, like, oh, the writers did this. No, the wrestler didn't. Simple as that. Because once they walk through the curtain, there's nothing. Regardless of how much, even when I had a bad attitude and I'd tell myself, there's nothing, anything, anything or anybody can do to help you. There's nothing or anything that anybody can do to hinder you with what you do in that ring. It's, it's your responsibility and it's your freedom, you know. But everybody can paint a house. Not everybody can paint a picture. Not everybody can be paint art, you know. Everybody can be a painter. Not everybody can be an artist. And uh, that's why there are those select few that reach those certain places. Yeah. And I, I agree with you on that. I, I actually call wrestling the great dance. I call it that art form because that's what it is, in my opinion. My opinion may be wrong, but I call it the great dance. When you have those two individuals, those two dance partners or four dance partners, depending on who's in the ring or six or 12, whatever it may be, when they're conducting this, this movement, this story without words, and they're telling it in ways that, that work and sell beautifully. And then they tell it in ways that maybe don't work and sell beautifully. But there's two members of your roster that I absolutely love. I'm huge fans of. And um, I've uh-huh. fallen away from OBW for a bit. So I got to get back on that. So shame on me. I got to get right back on that. As soon as we hang up, I got to get right back. But I love okay. Omar and I love yes. Hollywood Haley. Hollywood Haley. I'm a, I'm a girl dad. I'm a proud girl dad. And I love yeah. women's wrestling and everything that it's evolved into now. Sure. And Hollywood Haley, man, that girl is my dog. I Through and through, <laughs> when she comes on, I find her so incredibly entertaining and I'm drawn in. Sure. And one thing I love about her is that she's, she's great in, in the story she tells in the ring. But when she walks out to the ring and she climbs up those ropes and she gives that little look at the camera, those eyes, yeah. man, they pierce my fucking soul. And that's what draws she's me in be a about star. Yeah. She's going to be a star because it's, you have to understand that's who she really is. She just, she just turns the volume up really loud. And I'm constantly every week barking at her to turn it up louder. You know, I want her to, I want her to go over the top to where when I, I have to tell her to dial it back. But I tell everyone that. I tell everyone to go out there and, and to turn themselves up to a point to where I have to tell them to dial it back. You know how many people I've had to tell dial it back over all these years? None. None. Nobody. Nice. I've yet, yet to have one person go out there and go so far as I go, hey, you know what? Let's uh let's back that down. <laughs> let's bring it, let's bring it back. <laughs> yeah, let's let's bring that back down. I've <laughs> never I've never had to have that conversation. And I wish I could. Right. Because that's you have to you have to understand that as a performer. You know how to walk in a room and take command of a room without saying anything. If you, especially if you're a girl, you know how to do a girl thing. You know, that's that my dad always told me the difference between pretty, beautiful, and gorgeous is that when a pretty girl walks in the room, all the boys will stop and take a look. You know, when a beautiful woman walks into the room, um, men and women will stop and take a look. When a gorgeous woman walks into the room, the room stops. Right. The only difference between the three. Is that one that came in last came in in a way that she took over the room without saying a word. You've got to walk out in an arena that seats 20 or 25,000 or 15,000 and you've got, to, you've got to take everything. Here's why. Because as your job, your job is not to wrestle. That's a big mistake that the performers make today. Your job is to motivate you motivate you to leave your house take action get in a car drive to a building pay probably to park which is insane and then you're paying for a seat for your car that's all you're doing right and then bought pay an exorbitant amount of money to go and sit in a shitty seat around people you don't want to sit around to eat food pay for food you don't want to eat to watch me do my job I am now competing for the most valuable asset on the planet today. No one even realizes what it is. The most, it's more valuable than gold. It's more valuable than any precious metal. You know what it is? Time. It's your attention. Yeah, time and attention. Yes, sir. Just attention. Just attention. Because if I get your attention, I can convince you to give me your time. I like that. I like that. If I can get your attention, I can convince you to give me anything but I have to get and keep your attention. 
Fantastic. No, that I, is I, a hard job to do. Think of the amount of money that companies spend on the on via the internet and and TV and radio just to capture your attention for thirty seconds, for fifteen, for ten, enough to convince you to take some sort of action. And that's all it's about. That's it. And now as a professional wrestler, you're a product. You're no different than anything else. Ford Motor Company, Budweiser, AT&T, you are the exact same thing. And you're in competition with everyone else to get that attention. And if you don't have the skills, if you don't have the passion and the drive to push yourself to do it, you're never going to achieve what you want to achieve. And you know what? It's it's interesting that you mentioned stuff like that because uh, I follow you on Facebook and I find some of your posts hilarious. You posted something earlier today about uh, a pregnancy test being the wrong gift at a baby. Oh, show. a home, a home, home DNA home. test being yeah, home, home yeah. DNA <laughs> test being the wrong gift for it at a, at a baby I, I, show. I laughed yeah. my ass off on that. Also, I released my own perfume today. Uh, nobody in the car seemed oh, to like it. My own scent. My own scent. Yeah. <laughs> I released my own scent today. Nobody else in the car seems to like it. Yeah. <laughs> I, I, I really enjoy your Facebook posts. They are awesome. They're just these, these fun, great, quip jokes. But there was one cool post that you shared from Mick Foley, which was Al Snow appreciation. And he, he yeah, I was shocked. He's very out of character for him. I was right. Stunned. Well, well yeah. he showed that awesome picture of you guys in the 90s with those fanny packs, man. Everybody oh, with the fanny packs. Fanny yeah, we were rocking the fanny packs. <laughs> but he he kind of went down the list of everything, and he mentioned Tough Enough, which I want to touch on now, and it's a perfect segue. He mentioned that you were very underappreciated as one of the trainers of in Tough Enough, and that you 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 were you really did have a great mind, and you do have a great mind for the business, and the fact that it was never appreciated at that time. So let's talk Tough Enough for a bit. What was that process like when they came to you and said, listen, we want to do this. We want to start this, this kind of show. We want to try to find the next great WWF superstar. And we want you to, to, to helm the ship. Why don't you be one of the trainers? How was that process for you to going from that on-screen personality? Because at the time you were still on the air, you were still on Monday nights as well. So to go from that character, then you had to be serious. You had to be the, the trainer, right? How was that process going from both sides? It was kind of pulling back the curtain a lot more back then, no? Yeah, it was. It was, especially because I was still trying to be, you know, portrayed that I was insane. Right. And I just, I thought, you know, I'll just explain that I took medication, you know, that I went through therapy and took medication or whatever and was able to, you know, handle my illness. And, um, you know, I was approached about it and, um, and I, you know, I was, you know, I didn't know what it was. I don't think any of us knew what it was at first. And I just thought, well, I'm going to treat this the way that I did when I had my school. I was not going to treat it any differently. And actually, like they had a different format than what we came with, which was, you know, we worked with, I worked with those kids, you know, five days a week. And um, because I, my explanation was, look, when they get here, they're going to be on five days a week. And they need to be prepared and that you know and to truly within the, the time frame to really learn the basics and be able to at some point come out and have a match on national tv we're going to need that time that intensive training of five days a week so that we can create you know the instincts and the muscle memory to be able to to do it on a, the right level and uh you know, it was a fantastic opportunity. Um, it was, it's probably one of the things I'm most proud of being involved with in my career. And, you know, I was really um, appreciative and blessed to have gotten to do it. Um, it was an amazing uh, experience, you know, but I approach that the same way as I approach this here. I mean, it's no different for me. I could care less if there are TV cameras. I'm not going to do anything different. Or, you know, nobody told me to do it. This was back during the very infancy of reality TV and it wasn't scripted. It wasn't, you know, it wasn't what they call, you know, um, uh, whatever it is called, you know, the way they do it, scripted reality. It was just, they turned the cameras on 24 hours a day and just followed you around. And, um, you know, I still treated that as I did, I do today. And that is that they are my responsibility. They're my kids, not that I'm their dad. You know, that's a wrestling term. Mm -hmm. It's a sign that you're now responsible for these people. The guy that trained me, I'm 58 years old. I'm still his kid. You know, um, 
still to this day, I'll do, I do something on this interview, say something on this interview and some, one of the older generations see it and they, they'll call him. They won't call me. They will call him and then he'll call me and I better have an answer because I'm his kid. Right. And, and the same goes for every one of these people that I have trained for years. They are my kids. They are my responsibility. They are a reflection on me in this business. And I will not allow any of them to be anything other than the best that they possibly can be. And as it should be, they're a representation of you, like you said. And, Unquestionably. Unquestionably. And they, they have to represent you the way they would eventually want their future kids if they got into that side of things to represent them. It's all about the respect and the turnabout. And I think um, you mentioned that the post from Mick Foley was out of character, but I felt like it was from yeah, well, his it was, it's like he's so obsessed with me. It's like it's like <laughs> it's bordering on sexual obsession. It's really disturbing. <laughs> but I, I felt that it was from the heart and from a great place. And I felt that it I was- I did too, you know, and I've always loved Mick and we've always had a, whatever the chemistry, like, I don't want to, you know, but like Martin and Lewis and like Abbott and Costello and, we've just had a natural chemistry on screen for whatever reason we always did. It was not like we, you know, we, we spent hours practicing or anything, you know, it was just, it clicked, it worked. And, and, you know, and it was, it was great. I wish that they had taken more advantage of it and capitalized on it more because we could have done even more things with it, you know, um, you know, that was kind of like with Steve Blackman too. It was, you know, oh, I was just going to mention Steve Blackman. You did it for me. Awesome. Amazing. <laughs> but we didn't click as much, you know, Steve and I didn't click as much in the ring as Mick and I did. But, I mean, backstage and all of that, I mean, we literally became a show within a show on SmackDown because we were like the highest rated segments on the show. I love those segments. Um, because, you know, we it was it was so, it was so easy with him because he was such a great straight guy. And, you know, my being so off the wall and insane made him being so what he was even more so so you know it was it was and it was so much fun i enjoyed it it was you know i wish we could have you know i wish we could have done more with that there were conversations came up with like mick and i about holding the tag titles longer and you know politics play a role in it and all that and you can you know but one of the things i've promised myself is i will i refuse to be better because ultimately when you you meet these wrestlers that are bitter it's because of the fact that they it's not that they're, they just wish they still could be what they were and, right. and they miss it so much that they now are bitter and angry because they can't do and be who they used to be. And I embrace the fact that now I get to do all of this. You know, I'm, I'm so grateful and blessed that, you know, I get to, you know, I'm going to get quit here in just a minute and I'm going to go produce our secondary show overdrive and you know i have so much fun doing that and being so creative and you know uh the tv you know tonight i'll stay up from 11 until probably two or three o'clock in the morning writing next week's tv and you know it's 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 a challenge you know challenge but i mean it's 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 you know i still get to tell stories and i still get to live vicariously through the the wrestlers and you know create moments uh, for an audience that you know, they'll, they'll hopefully, you know, some people will never forget. And ultimately, at the end of the day, like most wrestlers these days get in to wrestling with the sole goal of being in WWE. And I never did. I, you know, I broke in in 1982. So, you know, WWF was just another territory. It was a big money making territory, but there was no destination per se. If you, you know, you wanted to be one of the guys that wrestled in the garden, because that was kind of like WrestleMania, like, you know, guys would come into the territory and, you know, um, you'd hear that they'd wrestled in the garden. You're like, ooh, okay. Like you had a different respect for the guy because he had wrestled in the garden. And, um, you know, but my goals back then were, honest to God, were to be able to make a, a good living, make money doing this and nothing else, um, make, have matches that people would remember, make moments that people would remember. And uh, to make a name for myself that would outlive my career. And, you know, people may disagree with me, but I think that I've accomplished those things. You know, I, but those were genuinely, those were my goals, you know. And, um, you know, I still get to live that 
effort to make that goal of making a name for myself and, and making moments that people remember vicariously through the talent and then and then still making a living at the very thing that I love to do. So, you know, I'm, I've been blessed, you know. It's, uh, you know, May 22nd of this year will be 39 years. Wow. Um, and, uh, and, and I didn't realize it, but I've, it's been five different decades that I've wrestled it um, and been a part of the, of the wrestling business. So, you know, 14-year-old me is like, hey, yeah, you're winning, you know? <laughs> Absolutely. So, Absolutely, man. And I, I I can't complain. I mean, it's, you know, I, I, I've never regretted doing it and I don't think I ever will. So. Absolutely. And you shouldn't. And I think you're, I don't think anybody would disagree with you. You've made a name. Uh, you, you still have me as a fan. I go back. I show my daughter some of the classic stuff while it's still on the network here in Canada. We know Peacock's kind of removing all of it, but I yeah. show her some of the classic stuff. And um, this was an honor for me today, Al. And not, not only can I say that I now have talked to Al Snow, but I can say Al Snow is my friend and you are now a member of the straight talk family. Anytime you, you want to come back, my man, we got to do a part two. And I would love to sit down with Hollywood Haley. If we can make it happen, because I want to oh, make it happen. Absolutely. absolutely. That she's my she's my girl. When you get up, when you hang out, you tell her that George in Canada, all about Hollywood Haley. I love her. I think she's fantastic. I'll set it, I'll set it up. I'll set it up for you. Much love. Before you go, where can the wonderful yes. people that watch my show every week, where can they find you on the wonderful world of social media? And also don't forget to plug OVW's YouTube. I certainly will. Um, you can find me at the real house no. Um, on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram um, because it, there were some fakes. And listen, I tell everybody the same thing. If you're going to fake being me, the only thing I'm going to do is send you a message and go, look, guy, can't you aim the bar higher? I mean, seriously, if you're going to fake being a celebrity, why not be like George Clooney or Brad Pitt or, you know, or Neil Armstrong? You went to the moon, for Christ's sake. Like, you're clearly, you're shooting under the radar. Like, you're thinking, hey, I'll just pick this one and, you know, we'll just slide by. Just find somebody better. I mean, seriously, have some aspirations, have some goals, um, be more creative. Jesus Christ. Um, and uh, you can go to uh, ovwrestling.com. You can find out more information on that. You can find out about the uh, school, aswa.live, Alston Wrestling Academy. We have academies in England. We have them in uh, Denmark. We have them in Hungary, Romania, Greece. Uh, Chile in South America. We've got uh, Salt Lake City uh, affiliate um, Denver. But in Louisville, um, we are the only certified to be accredited as an actual trade school for professional wrestling, sports, entertainment, and broadcasting in the world. Nice. So, and OVW's YouTube page. Oh, OVW's YouTube page is I can't even remember the address. Can you remember it? I can. I actually have it. I actually have it up, or I had it up. Oh, I lost it. Okay. Don't worry. I'll make sure in the link and the description below that we put that YouTube and we get it out there and so people can see and everything it's on, I'm talking about. And it's on Fight TV on Thursday nights at seven o'clock Eastern time as well. Absolutely, and that's one of the places where I watch it. But if I can't watch it there, I do catch up on YouTube. YouTube. As well. So yes. Al, thank you so much, and I follow you across all platforms. Thank I you. want to do your boy a favor, shoot me a follow. I'll send you my socials on the email. No pressure, but gotcha. to have Al Snow following me would be amazing. Before you go, can I ask yes. one more thing? Can you look at the camera and just ask me, what does everybody want? What does everybody want? What does everybody need? What does everybody love? Head! <laughs> Al Snow, thank you so much, man. This was an honor and a pleasure. And I can't wait to do it again. Thank you very much. I'll hook you up with Haley, man. Absolutely. I can't wait. You take care. Peace, love, and wrestling. We'll see you guys next time. Bye-bye. Be safe. Bye, George. Take care, Al. Thank you so much for listening. Don't forget to tune in next week for another great episode on all available podcast platforms and hosted on Podbean. Also, check us out on YouTube at Straight Talk Wrestling, on Instagram at Straight Talk Wrestling, on Facebook at Straight Talk Wrestling, and on Twitter at underscore Straight Talk. And if you feel the need to buy some sweet merch, check us out on ProWrestlingTees.com. Leaving the scene with no trace. None in my lead. You out of place. I'm not at the top. I'm out of space. Can't eat with us. We're out of place. I'm doing fine. I'm feeling great. You're not my.